Hey y'all, I'm your host, Carly Jones, and this is Sorry I'm on Break, a Hope and Jones media production. Welcome back to season two of Sorry I'm on Break. Last week, we had a very special guest on our show. He opened us up with a mini unwind tip. His favorite little, just this is what I do to stop and check in with myself. His tip was really just stopping. So today, before we even get into our conversation to ground ourselves, we're going to go ahead and repeat that practice for the next 10 seconds in honor of Mr. Troy Lee Jones. Let's all just stop. Okay, so again, that was more than 10 seconds, but those just feel so amazing. So I hope for the past week, everybody has been practicing stopping for 10 seconds intermittently throughout their day so that at the end of the day, there's like at least an hour of having stopped throughout your day for yourself. Um, Yeah, but um, if you haven't listened to last week's episode, I highly, highly recommend stopping right now going back to the episode, episode three, and listening to that before you come back and listen to this episode, because the two episodes together, they're a bundle and they're attended to complement each other. But, you know, use your free will and it'll still be a great experience no matter what. So tune in however you like. Um, Our VIP guest from last week is back again. He is moving away from his relationship to addiction and recovery and more into his relationship with fatherhood. Honestly, I mean, the man needs no introduction. He does a beautiful job of opening the show all on his own, too. I had a whole different thing scripted out, but my dad just kind of took it away by naturally talking about us. So here's a peek into Mr. Jones's life. I'm talking to my daughter. Uh, She just wrote a completed and edited and published her first book it's called they don't love you like i love you and i am being interviewed uh because she has a podcast you must be proud of her i'm so proud of her and on top of that she she just recently won the uh uh, congresswoman jacqueline spear uh-huh. The survivor from the uh, jonestown massacre right i know who she is she won the woman of courage award about a month ago wow only three women won that and she was one of them and i mean honestly listen to that who doesn't love to hear their guardian or parent brag about them right i mean speaking as a 20 something year old who was raised not to use terms like always and never because they're fighting words i'll go ahead and unashamedly let it be known that you are never too grown to hear your guardian or your parent brag about how proud they are of you Okay, I'm willing to fight on that. No cap. And I'm, I'm not even sure, honestly, if I'm using that term right, because it's like a new age term. But there you go. I'm standing by it. So there's this stereotype about black fathers and brown fathers, and especially the black and brown fathers who aren't married to, or at least monogamously committed to, the mother of their kids. We all know the stereotype. The caricature, the villainous character who, quote, walks out on his family and never looks back, quote, the one who, quote, has so many kids you can't even keep track, quote, that, quote, absent parent, unquote, okay, who you try not to mention. Well, it's not like those figurative tropes don't actually exist in real life. I don't want to act like that just doesn't actually happen and that's not a real and valid experience. But in my real life experience, there are a ton of historically rooted 
and intentionally planned things that contribute to nuclear families being physically, geographically, emotionally, financially, or otherwise distant or estranged from one another. Just off the top of my head, I'm going to name slavery as one of the main contributing factors, regardless of where your ancestry fell on that fight historically. But um, despite those nasty bastard-like stereotypes and the real-life experiences of some out there, I haven't ever met like a deadbeat, only sperm donor, father who just like straight up just doesn't ever care about his kids. It's really hard to be something you don't know how to be. In regards to fathering, if you don't have a good male role model, you can only parent from your experience and what you've been taught, which could be extremely inadequate. And you see that. And sometimes seeing that inadequacy and self-determining that you are inadequate to be a father, it's enough to make a person want to run away from the responsibility altogether. But here's the thing about parenting. It's a real forever thing. And speaking as an adult child of two parents, in my eyes, one of the things that makes Troy a fantastic, world-class, top-tier father is that he's determined to break generational curses. My dad had his first daughter when he was 19 years old. He grew up geographically separate from his father and was the eldest consistent male figure in his childhood home amongst his brothers. So he was essentially already a father and father figure for others before he had even learned or been shown how to be a father or what that means. You can't be something that you weren't taught to be or is not being modeled to you. You don't know how to do what was never been shown. So in regards to parenting, the lack of information kind of prevents you from having uh, more opportunity, you know, and education, that knowledge is, is void. And so you can't, you can't, I want to say, you can't advance too much beyond where you are because you don't have the directions, you know, and it takes, it takes a lot of information, intelligence, wisdom, you know, vision, foresight. It takes all of these in, important ingredients. Without having the directions, Troy had to first learn that parenting required ingredients before he could ever even start learning which ingredients he needed or how to get enough so that he could share them with his kids. As he stepped further and further into his role as a father, Troy knew he wanted our upbringing to be different, at least in some respects, from his own. And what he lacked in providing financially, he made up by teaching us difficult life lessons and by creating a world for us that he never had for himself. I spend more time explaining Mm. You know, sometimes why. Which is huge. Taking the time to explain why things are going on in the world, why some people react to you or your kid different from others, and why stories from your family history are important building blocks to understanding identity. That's everything. Why is a question searching for an answer. Why is the most fundamental and central question in the field of education. It's the most fundamental and central question to our existential existence, if you really think about it. Why is the source of conversation, the source of information, the source of change and discovery and innovation? Why is connection? 
and answering the whys of the world is a small step that has such monumental impact in comparison to the time that's lost from having to explain. When you make space for someone to ask why, you encourage them to speak. You give them permission to use their voice. I gave you guys a voice. I didn't have a voice growing up. Um, we're raised in a different time, so I wasn't allowed to question authority. And I always raised kids to question authority with respect. This is a right way to question authority. There's a wrong and incorrect way to question authority. And historically in our culture, because of slavery and the oppression, things of that nature, we were given and allotted the opportunity to defend our position without severe consequences. And I think that in a lot of ways that still exists today. The fear of using one's voice is one that is historically rooted in communities of color. Communities of color have had to overcome the fear in defending our positions and outwardly questioning the status quo and in going against the grain since the beginning of colonization. It's not an irrational fear. We have seen, and we collectively continue to see, the real-life consequences of what can happen to black and brown folks. We've seen how quickly we can be demonized as unsafe. The real-life, 9-minute, 29-second-long, shot-in-broad-daylight viral YouTube videos show us the potential consequences damn near every year. So clearly, we're not wrong for still being fearful, but it's having that fear and teaching your children to use their voices anyway that makes Troy a father who, despite having not been traditionally present, has an undeniably positive influence on his offspring regardless. It's the superheroic features of parenting that cost nothing but love, dedication, self-awareness, and time that end up meaning the world to your children in the long run. In order to have a relationship, you have to spend time with the person. It's a bond that's formulated if you have communication and contact with one another that isn't there if you don't have it, right? There's a, a knowing, if you will, like, you know, we know each other. Well, you wouldn't know me if you weren't able to hang around me and be around me and understand me. You know, there's no substitute for that. None. No substitute for that. You know, it's a necessary component for healthy relationships and the dynamics of, and you know, developing your social skills and how you relate to other individuals and all of that. It's all, it all has to plays this part. It's all got a piece, you know, it's all, all part of that equation. And that's one of the biggest keys to having a deep, authentic, healthy, and mutually beneficial parent-child relationship. Spending the time to get to know the whys about one another. If time is the thing that life is made up of, then understanding is what keeps us together for the duration. In our family, we value the process of just genuinely getting to know one another. I have three sisters, a brother, a gang of powerful nieces, a nephew, and cousins that I consider my extended siblings. That's not even considering my aunties, my uncles, my great aunts, my great uncles, grandpas, grandmas, etc. The Jones family is huge. So we've learned to measure the success of the parent-child relationship by the investment spent in understanding the whys behind each other's ambitions, fears, conflicts, and first heartbreaks. We've had a lot of time to 
work out some of those idiosyncrasies. <laughs> you know? And to become familiar familiar with one another and to pick up on the nonverbal cues and things of that nature, you know? Yes. Better understand and like respect some of the whys. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I agree. So I think that because we've had that connection all of our your lives, you know, that the maturation process, the growth process has been a smoother transition, not devoid of problems or hiccups. No one's life is, but more continuity. And and fortunately for us, we were able to have that. Absolutely. In spite of our families being uh, separated in a lot of ways, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I also think that is, that's like, um, that's common of a lot of families. But again, I think it's, it's unique to minority families families of color um that have been geographically separated either by colonies colonization slavery you know imprisonment etc um capitalism etc and so finding ways to make it work and here's the real kicker once you devote the time to start learning the whys behind certain behaviors actions and emotions of your child or parent you'll be shocked by what you see Because here's the thing, spoiler alert, what you're going to be very quickly seeing is how many similarities you actually share. Uh, Our emotions are a lot alike. You know, we we react similar to various things that trigger us. And again, that's about modeling, right? That's what I showed you. That's, That's what happens. You know, you pick up on those things from your family members and... The thing about it as a parent, you're not even aware that that's happening so much. Especially as a young father or a father who didn't grow up with daily examples of how to be a dad. You're not even aware of how frequently your kids are looking at you as an example. But as kids, we're watching and soaking up everything our parents do. Imagine a four or five year old kid dancing to their favorite performer and trying to memorize all the different stage moves. That's what kids are doing when, they, when they're around their parents. And it never stops. And you never know what's going to stick. And what isn't. Or how. Or for how long. And let's be honest. That's an incredibly scary, heavy, and exhausting responsibility for people to carry. For our parents to carry. Uh, it doesn't scare me. Um, the only thing I can say about fear is that, um, you know, I don't want you to make the same mistakes I made. That that would be the fear part. Just, you know, I don't want you to, because I don't want you to suffer the consequences of the actions that I had to suffer. Mm-hmm. That's really what it comes down to. Okay. So in all honesty, I'm not even a parent. I am only really a parent to my fur baby, Mackenzie, which is still definitely a like responsibility in and of itself. But let's be honest, it's it's not the same as raising a, a human adult person. Um, so going into this interview, I definitely tried doubly hard to ask questions a lot and um, in an effort to like unpack any assumptions and especially unconscious biases I may have. So... I asked my dad if he felt like parenthood and, you know, 
being a young parent, having to learn how to be a parent while still learning who he was as an individual, if he felt like that balanced out in the end, and if now looking back with all of this perspective, he feels like he's gained some nuggets. I asked him if he ever sees the similarities we share in a new light, if he basks in the fruits of his labor frequently, and if you could name some of the positive things that he's modeled for us. I think that um, what stands out the most is your work ethic. You're determined, determined to pursue your goals and exhaust every resource, you know, and you're determined be determined to do what it is you need to do for yourself and taking the initiative and not waiting for others to do things that you know you can do or need to do. I think that is something that I instill in you girls and all you kids at a very early age. You know, modeling it to you at times and other times just communicating that this is our my expectations you know and not only do I have those for myself but I have them for you too I uh, listened to a podcast the other day about strong-willed women don't tell a strong-willed woman that it can't be done the reply will be it just hasn't been figured out yet Not that it can't be done. Yeah. Just hasn't been figured out yet. So, if that's not a testament to the power and impact of the fatherhood relationship, I don't know what else is. If y'all could hear the amount of gems that were left on the cutting floor from these conversations, just know that you would be knocked off your feet. But also, please take comfort in the fact that Troy will absolutely, absolutely be back. He's my dad. So, he's definitely coming back. We still have so much to cover. But as the therapists say, this concludes our time together for the day. I just want to wrap us out with a quick stopping exercise inspired from our VIP guest, the one and only TJ. Y'all ready? Let's stop for 10 seconds. Go. All right, all right, all right. They feel so good. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you for taking your break with us again. If you want to read or support They Don't Love You Like I Love You, it's available for purchase on hopeandjonesmedia.com or at target.com or brownsandnoble.com or Amazon, all these different places. Google it, you'll find it at our names. Next week, we will be discussing religion with a very, very special guest who is near and dear to the heart. So tune in. And as a gift, I'm going to officially close out this episode with some laughter from me and my dad in hopes that it um, brings you at least half as much joy as it brings me. Because um, you know what? Hashtag black boy joy. All right. And we out. (laughs) 